All eyes today are on the Reserve Bank of Australia, which is expected to hike again at 2.30pm today Australian time after being on pause for four months. That's coming up in our five things in less than five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, we find out why India's stock market may be undervalued. Here's Sanjay Mathu. The first thing is, despite being expensive on conventional parameters, they've delivered much better returns. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ. Apart from the Melbourne Cup, all eyes in financial markets and early Asian trading today will be on the Reserve Bank of Australia, which is set to go against the grain and hike again after a four-month pause. Here's ANZ Australia's senior economist, Adelaide Timbrell. The Reserve Bank has seen new data since the October meeting and also released new commentary since the October meeting. Both those things together have led us to change our call to a hike in November. For the Reserve Bank to reach its previously uh, forecast 2023 inflation rate of 4.1%, we'd actually need to see quarterly inflation halve between Q3's 1.2% quarter-on-quarter and Q4's 0.7% quarter-on-quarter. The Reserve Bank commentary, which came out in October after the meeting, said that the bank has a low tolerance for inflation diverging from their outlook. So, Inflation is diverging from the outlook. They've got a low tolerance for that. They've also commented in other ways about the risks to inflation uh, in terms of expectations from consumers, in terms of how long it's taking to come down and some of the other damage it can do. And all of these things together um, make us think that that hawkish tinge of commentary and uncomfortable data will culminate in a 25 basis point rate rise in November. Number two. But is 4.35% it for the RBA? Here's Adelaide again. The ANZ Research Central case is that the November hike to 4.35% will be the last one, but there's no guarantee that it will be. Our risks, uh, as we see them, are still skewed to more action by the Reserve Bank, particularly if those inflation results continue to disappoint or if we see too much resilience in the labour market or wages side of the economy. We're less concerned with the activity side. That's more about is activity falling enough to mean that we need an easing in monetary policy and that risk is very, very low, whereas the risk that inflation could be stickier than expected is a touch higher. Number three, global stock and bond markets were mixed overnight, with investors taking a breath ahead of more Fed commentary and in the absence of major data releases from the world's largest economies. However, oil prices rose almost to a dollar a barrel, to 87 US dollars a barrel for Brent crude, after Saudi Arabia and Russia confirmed they were going to extend their production cuts. The S&P 500 is basically flat at five o'clock Australian time, and the US 10-year bond yield is up eight basis points at 4.64%. Number four. However, the Australian dollar is firm ahead of that RBA decision at 64.99 US cents, and the Kiwi dollar also nudging around its highs at 59.76 US cents at 5 o'clock Australian time. ANZ's head of FX research, Marjorie Zaman, says US dollar weakness is a major factor in the recent rise in the Aussie and Kiwi dollars. 
U.S. exceptionalism is somewhat beginning to fade. We saw the dollar weaker, I guess, uh, on a combination of a few factors, uh, one being um, moderate Treasury quarterly refunding projections, which means that the Treasury announced that you know they will be having bond auctions uh, into this week and going forward. And for this quarter, this coming uh, next three months, uh, they expect to have lesser borrowing than the market was anticipating. Secondly, we also had a week weaker than expected ISM and non-farm payrolls data. And finally, we also had the FOMC meeting, which the market has taken away somewhat as a dovish tilt. Number five, Indonesian GDP grew at an annual rate of 4.94% in the September quarter, which was weaker than consensus forecasts for 5.05%. But ANZ Asia economist Crystal Tan says growth wasn't weak enough to change the central bank's view. Well, it's still going to be external stability rather than domestic growth conditions that will continue to dictate the near-term monetary policy outlook. So on that front, we do expect Bank Indonesia to continue keeping its policy rate at 6.0%. It will not have scope to pivot until at least the second half of next year when the US Fed starts to reverse its restrictive stance. And it's crystal tan there. And now it's time for our bonus deep dive interview, in which my colleague Catherine Dyer spoke to ANZ Chief Economist for Southeast Asia and India, Sanjay Mathu, about why Indian stocks might appear expensive, but actually deserve a higher premium. I think the first thing is, despite being expensive on conventional parameters, they've delivered much better returns. And I think that they also need to be considered in a more holistic manner. And by that, I mean, in the context of the improving macroeconomic and business environment in India, how corporates have been able to cut down on costs, how the economy is formalizing itself, all these things need to be an integral part of any valuation exercise when we look at India. So in the post-COVID period, India has shown quite strong GDP and PMI performance compared to the rest of Asia. Why is that? Well, I think that to start with, and, you know, when you speak of India's strong GDP performance, I would also want to make a point that even when we extrapolate these numbers into the future, not just ours, but even when you look at a forecast, say that of the IMF, not only is India growing faster, but the gap with others is widening. The reason for why we are getting to this point is, A, we've had a banking sector cleanup. Two, we've had significant uh, policy reforms that includes digitalization, free trade agreements, much greater push by the government on building out the physical infrastructure. And all these developments are also showing up in corporate performance. So how has formalization of the economy affected its structure and the performance of corporates within that structure? One of the very important developments that has taken place is that it has swung the terms of trade towards larger corporates, towards medium-sized corporates, many of them that are listed. So they have increased their share in the in overall GDP. And we can see that if you were to consider, say, net sales to GDP of these corporates, it certainly expanded in the post-pandemic period. The second development is that within that, because now that it's not just about market share, but it's also how they have reacted to the operating environment in terms of working capital management, in terms of deleveraging. And all these developments have 
help them to hold through a very aggressive rise in commodity prices or interest rates. So that's really been a very unique development as far as corporate India is concerned. What do you see as some of the other tailwinds for the economy? I think India has a much more balanced growth profile than most of the other economies as of now. So its export to GDP ratio is fairly low. And that means that it can really grow in a balanced manner without engendering any imbalances in the system. Second, what we are seeing is that credit growth, though strong, is not going gangbusters or is rising very aggressively, which always puts an end to India's business cycle or has put an end to India's business cycle strength in the past. So when it comes to valuing Indian equities, what would you say is the bottom line? The bottom line is that the structural or the secular trend is for Indian valuations to remain high. They will probably continue to deliver superior returns because of the stability of earnings. And that is not to say that we won't see corrections in the Indian equity market, but rather such corrections will likely be short-lived. Sanjay Mathu there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Tuesday, November the 7th, Melbourne Cup Day. Catch you tomorrow with the latest from the RBA's decision. Meanwhile, I hope to get gold trip in the office sweepstake. This is not investment advice. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.